Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD. I'm Eamon Clark, and for this very special episode, I am delighted to be joined by an editor, a writer, and the mightiest of all mighty ones, the greatest bearer of the Rosette of Sirius ever. It's Steve McManus. Steve, welcome to the book club. Uh, Borak, thank Earthlings. Well, thank you for that. It's great to have you here. Now, we've brought you on to talk about uh, your contribution to a new comic called The 77, which we're going to get to. But of course, I can't have the mighty one on the podcast and not ask you a few questions about your time uh, with 2000 AD and some other comics. Can you, I mean, if we look back at it, you've got this long, illustrious career as an editor through the, you know, the true golden age of 2000 AD. What was your sort of proudest moment or creation during that time, would you say? Uh, That's a great question and very hard to answer. But one highlight, I guess, I could pick out would be Halo Jones. I'm not saying I had anything to do with her creation, rather that I'm glad I accepted the proposal in the first place. You know, at the time, a story about an 18-year-old girl whose first episode showed her going shopping was about as far as from a regular 2080 strip as you could get. Yes, indeed. And so (laughs) I'm I'm glad I just took that chance. Um, But then it wasn't that much of a chance when you've got Alan Moore and Ian Gibson, you know, creating, uh, you knew at some point it was really going to catch fire. And how did you put those two together? Were they keen to work with each other or was it, you know, was it down to yourself? I forget. I I read that Ian um, has said to Alan he wanted Alan to write him a girl story. So maybe those two brought Halo Jones to me rather than me. But I think I, I, my, in my memoir, I, I, I mentioned to Alan about a girl hero. So it's hard 30 years hence to kind of nail that down. Sure, yes. Was was Maze Dumas a sort of um, forerunner for, for Ian Gibson, you know, a chance for him to show that he could draw the ladies? Well, Maze Dumas by uh, Alan Hebden, of course, my great friend Alan Hebden, a very skilled writer in his own right kind of thing. I think Ian must have shown us before that that he could draw women, um, uh, but maybe that's what caught um, everyone's eye, Maze Dumas, yeah. Yeah, and as you say, you know, a strip about a young woman going shopping seemed unlikely for 2000 AD. But, you know, um, in view of what it became, such a, such a great choice to put it in the comic. Yes, I, I guess one could be a bit... Ex- um, experimental in the sense that you knew that Dredd and Scrunch and Robohunter were uh, kind of out front selling the comic anyway, so you could smuggle in these kind of slightly different um, approaches to to um, picture strips, especially when at, at that time still the audience was meant to be 10-year-old boys. Yes, of course. Now, you mentioned Alan Hebden, and last year at the Lawless Convention, which of course sadly isn't happening this year, um, you were sitting next to him at a table I believe and I got you to sign one of the comics that featured Meltdown Man and of course <laughs> there was <laughs> there's some friendly dispute between the two of you about that title well yeah it's all my fault um, Alan's title proposal was uh, Y-U-J-E-E U-G being a play on eugenics um, and me being a bit of a fuddy duddy and thinking of 10 year old boys it'd be easier to um, make it you know, sound like something exciting, Meltdown Man. Oh, I want to read about Meltdown Man, you know. <laughs> but did you actually get the letters that say, when's he going to melt? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's the God's honest truth. We did. And, uh, <laughs> no meltdown involved at all. I think it was the first page he melted down. And <laughs> if, you, yes. if you missed that, that was it. That was it, yeah. Now, some timey-wimey stuff. I wanted to ask you about Mac 1 because um, I've actually already recorded an episode about uh, the Mac 1 collections that have come out from Rebellion, although that episode will actually be out after this one, if that makes sense. And, yeah. and the bit that struck us was the way that the strip seemed to be perhaps possibly running out of a bit of steam with just the super-powered spy episodes – but when you started writing about the tragic backstory of Max Zero, it really sort of took a change. What, what made you do that? When, where did that come from? Oh, um, the idea of a prototype Mac-Man came from Pat Mills. 
um, I had written a couple of Mac ones for him, and he, he he one day said to me, "Could I see what I could do with the notion that there had been a Mac Zero prototypes who who perhaps <laughs> um, didn't quite uh, you know." It didn't quite work, the uh, compupuncture hyperpower. And um, I suppose I realized the only way to approach the idea was to see the character as a tragic figure. And then um, that's the way I am. I enjoyed the pathos of, of that notion. But of course, it meant Max Zero could never be as popular as with the readers as, as the, the main characters. But I like to think at least it generated sympathy amongst them for Zero's plight. Yeah, I mean, I think it did. We talked about it. We talked about the sort of um, of Mice and Men character or Flowers for Algernon character for Max Zero, which was, you know, a wonderful note and took the strip, I thought, quite dark as well. Yeah, I loved it. I loved, it. I loved um, Mike Dory's artwork. He, he, he kind of got the dark thing straight away. <laughs> and um, I, I, was, I suppose I was influenced a bit by all those, as you say, Mice and Men, Beauty and the Beast kind of stories. And at the time, uh, I was watching, um, is it Smiley's People or the one before? Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yeah, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, where the guy gets shot at the beginning, ends up at a, in a caravan at a public school. And, and that's where, you know, I, I put Max Zero in this British Rail porter living in a caravan and each night inspecting his wounds. Yeah, it's fantastic. We really enjoyed it. We, uh, we've we been talking about it. And as I say, that will be coming up on the podcast in a couple of weeks after this one. Great. Let's talk about some of the other characters that you were involved with. Um, I mean, probably most notably Rogue Trooper, uh, which I think you were quite heavily involved in the creation of. Um, did you feel that character was partly your own? Well, when the artwork for each episode came in, be it from Dave or afterwards Colin Wilson or whoever, I must say I always took great care to ensure that Jerry's dialogue in the script transferred seamlessly to the pictures in the artwork. And where this wasn't happening, I would do a bit of rewriting to fix it. So in that sense, I saw it very much as something I had to look after. Whereas perhaps um, a John Wagner Dread or a Pat Mills slaying, you didn't need to touch the dialogue. It, it just worked perfectly. Oh, right. OK. And, you know, looking towards the sort of other end of that character's uh, journey, there's always the thing with long-running TV shows like The Fugitive. You know, if he catches the one-armed man, then the series effectively is over. Um, what about the decision to have Rogue Trooper eventually catch up with the Traitor General? Where did that come from? Well, you're, you're quite right. It, it had to happen at some point, didn't it? <laughs> Just for everyone's kind of, um, you know, to preserve the integrity of the strip before it became, like, quite a few things nowadays just go on and on, you know, like um, Killing Eve is now going to be, like, 600 series long, and they should have just killed her and <laughs> left it at that. Yes. I guess what I'm trying to say is that the moment he caught the traitor and killed him, it it did, in a sense, kill the strip as well. And therefore, we should have stopped it there, um, which we didn't. Was that because of the popularity of the character that, you know, you wanted to keep on with stories about him? Well, I, I think um, Jerry, it was Jerry's concept. And I think he felt he could, he had the skill to take it to another level or a different area and, and for it still to be um, the rogue that we enjoy. And um, in, in parts, maybe that worked. But of course, um, we mustn't forget that uh, John Smith did a superb um, Cinnabar take on Rogue. So that was interesting. Yeah, we've done that uh, Cinnabar story on the podcast in the past. Uh, that was fantastic. Steve Dillon as well. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a shame for Steve, you know, that um, he's not with us today. Yeah, I know. It is a tragic loss. So young. Yeah. You've mentioned Pat Mills, and you also mentioned Slane. I mean, when Pat first bought you a sort of barbarian strip for the two thousand, what did you think about that idea? Well, we've never had one, to be fair. Um, as, as far as I could, apart from Black Hawk, slightly in that kind of fantasy genre um so um it felt the right thing to do at that time it gave the comic a bit of a, a variety and um pat was really into it and i it, it just you could see it was going to 
work out really well. And by that time, I think 2008, editorially and with the readers, we were fine not to hang on to the notion of it being purely future fiction, science fiction, but we could um, look elsewhere for strips. And did Pat, you know, did Pat come up with the idea of later bringing in some science fiction elements, you know, the the laser guns and the aliens that come up in um, uh, The Killing, I think? Yeah, well, it wasn't me, that's for sure. (laughs) It must have been (laughs) Pat. Um, um, I mean, when he first proposed something down the phone, he, he described it as akin to the TV show Minder with um, the Arthur Daly character being Ucko and um, Minder, i.e. Dennis Waterman, being the character, the muscly character. And um, when you kind of read that, you know that you're going to have a lot of fun as these two argue and sort of banter. And um, it was great. I loved it. Oh, okay. Have you ever heard Pat say that he sort of took some of um, the publisher John Sanders to base Ucko on? He, well, now you mention it, I can see that. Um, <laughs> and of course, John Sanders has his own book coming out in, well, it was due out in July, which I can't wait to read. Um, yes, King's I wonder Reach if that was pushed back. Yes, I saw, the, saw the, yeah. uh, the adverts. I don't know. I mean, lots of books have been pushed back slightly, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. It's going to be out of the Christmas. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, yes. Um, um, yeah, John Sanders. Well, I... Um, I can see that. I hadn't thought of that before. Uh, he did used to wring his hands occasionally, like uh, Ucker does in the strip. Yes, okay, I can. <laughs> I, uh, I can imagine. Yes. <laughs> okay, tell us about what you know. There's another sort of. Um, there's so many famous moments from your time as Tharg, but of course there was the long-awaited crossover between Dread and Batman, and we haven't talked about Dread much yet. Mm-hmm. Of course. John Wagner, Alan Grant, and of course Simon Bisley. How did that all come about? Um, how did you get to that? I think the, the notion of teaming up Dread and Batman had been around for a while. Nick Landau, I think, um, had proposed it to DC and they had been interested. But I think the, um, as I recall, the um, the notion was, was um, cancelled by the IPC end. So the project lay fallow for, I suppose, four or five years until I kind of revived it. And all I did was I wrote a letter to Paul Nevitz saying, shall we have another go at this? And he wrote back and said, look, I don't want to get the file out of the filing cabinet unless it's really going to happen. So (laughs) he obviously had all the files there. But once I persuaded him, who we had on board, John and Alan, and um, notion of Simon as the artist, then uh, everything went quite smoothly. Excellent. Uh, Well, you know, it was amazing stuff, and it will come up on the podcast in the future because we're going to do an episode Mm. about the Batman crossover books. Um, So what was it like working with Simon at that point, the biz himself, when he was uh, um, somewhat of a sort of almost like a rock star legend by that stage? Sure. Well, um, he 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 began, didn't he, drawing um, ABC Warriors? I think for two thousand AD. Yes, he did in um, black and white. And um, I think when John Allen proposed him as the artist on Batman, I went down to his house and uh, found him. This was therefore pre Rockstar phase. It was just Simon uh, being very friendly and. Um, and he was just on the cusp of fame because I remember his his neighbour came in from next door and kind of said to him, "I had no idea you were you were the Simon Bisley, you know." Um, at which point, as I recall, Simon's wife drew up in the car with all the shopping and dumped it on the um, at the end of the garden like social distancing and, and roared off. <laughs> so, in that sense, he was just like any other dude, but. Um, um, and I, I don't think he changed that much in his relationship with me when he became very famous. Um, he's a charming guy, and um, uh, when I knew him, he was modesty itself. And how was he with the deadlines? Because obviously, you know, it was uh, important to get the Batman book out on time. There, are, you know, there's mentions in Thrill Power Overload that you had to sort of manage him to a certain extent. Yeah, I, I read that. Um, he, he he had a friend who put him in the bath and poured cold water over him. Um, it was it was hairy scary, but uh, he got it done in the end, and that's credit to him. 
And it was such fantastic work in the end as well. You know, such a successful crossover for the two characters. Well, you're, you're quite right. I mean, I think Wagner and Grant really got the, uh, the crossover perfectly. You know, this, this, this opening line from Dread, you with the ears, you know, that just was perfect as, as he comes across the Batman. And um, but of course, at the end, I think Judge Death steals it all, doesn't he? <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> Judge Death steals the show as ever. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, through the eighties, you've got these immensely talented droids, both writers and artists, working for you. But of course, you know, the uh, the British invasion was happening to America, or America was uh, poaching some of the talent to go and write work on their big books. Was that a sort of constant problem as an editor? And, and where did you find the new talent that you brought in to replace them? It, it wasn't, um, I suppose it came with the territory. Uh, you always knew that at some point uh, a company that offered royalties would have a greater attraction than uh, Fleetway that didn't. I'd known Pete Milligan for some time through Brendan McCarthy and Brett Ewings. And it was clear through his initial Future Shocks, that he would contribute some fine work to 2000 AD. Grant Morrison, in uh, another way, just came up to the office on his own initiative. And so you could say he found us rather than we found him. And maybe by doing that, I think he encouraged lots of other artists just to come down to London from Leeds or wherever and bang on the door, um, which was great. Much better than sending in samples that get lost in in the myriad of stuff. But I do claim to have found John Smith, for sure. Uh, that's that's one I found. And um, then before we knew it, he'd, he'd done Tyranny Rex and, of course, had a good go at New Statesman. Yes, of course, to New Statesman. And as you say, Indigo Prime, Tyranny Rex, we've mentioned Cinnabar. And then since then, more recently, he's done things like Cradle Grave, which are just fantastic. Yeah, so where did you find John? Well, I think he was sending in unsolicited submissions, but he, he kept them like down to two pages, so it was the work of a moment to read you know, what he was sending in. And the one I liked turned out to have been ripped off anyway from somewhere else, but <laughs> at least that got him to, onto my radar. And um, I liked the way he um, his scene descriptions were akin to Alan Moore's, highly detailed, uh, way beyond what an artist needed to draw a picture. <laughs> you almost got the novel and as a sidebar. Oh, and there's a, this is the picture. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, we've you know we've seen some examples of Alan Moore's scripts over the years, and they are they were they were dense and complicated, weren't they? Yes, yes, and John's were even denser. And then I suppose at the other end of the spectrum, you have got John Wagner, who's famously terse panel descriptions dread grim exactly yeah exactly so uh, <laughs> which is easier as an editor to read dread grim yeah tick um, dread goes out the door tick yeah as opposed to 500 words about um a burger floating down the river at the end of part one of new statesman and it's got cronenberger written on it and you're going whoa whoa what <laughs> fantastic i mean You've obviously, as I say, you were losing some of the talent to America. Did you ever seek to sort of reverse the flow and get some of the Americans to come and work on 2000? I mean, I know we mentioned Bill Sienkiewicz doing those Titan covers. No, not not me personally, because I was never really... I didn't really know who the artists in America were, the good ones, the bad ones. They <laughs> didn't, didn't cross my radar. I was happier to concentrate on giving up-and-coming artists the chance to work for 2000 AD. Um, I think Richard Burton did get one American superstar to draw an episode of Judge Dredd, but I can't remember his name, um, unless you can. Uh, well, does John Byrne did one for one of the annuals once, That was it. He, I think. Yeah, well done. It was John yeah. Byrne. And it, it was meant to go in the weekly, but it was so scrappy that we put it in the annual or the special. And, you know... I, I, I never thought it just kind of proved to me that uh, talent could go from the UK to America, but not from America to the UK, except in covers for Titan albums, which you know, made a lot of sense. 
And do you, I mean, I can't remember this. When was the Frank Miller cover? Was that that was after your time? Oh yeah, yeah. It must have been way after my time because my time kind of Prog Five Hundred was my swan song, I guess. So they weren't even accepting color artwork at that stage. No, no. Uh, and you know, we we know that obviously 2000 AD was growing up with its readership and its com- you know its stories were getting uh, more adult, older, more complex. Did I mean Pat Mills obviously has talked about this many times over the decades about whether another comic for 10, 11, 12 year olds would ever have succeeded? Do you think that could have ever been pulled off? Well, the perfect opportunity for that was the Stallone movie. 1995 and indeed we tried to capitalise on that by launching Lawman of the Future a kind of younger version as you say but I don't think the writers realised they were writing for a younger audience and they were trying to be 2000 AD writers so it ended up with some of their dialogue was longer word balloons than even in 2000 AD and a younger audience can't read, and especially by then having kind of adopted computer games and stuff, they weren't going to struggle through a 50-word word balloon uh, that basically could have been said, as you say, John Wagner style, in a, a lot shorter. So that that one just bit the dust. Yes, yeah, another sort of heroic failure. Shame, the great shame, because uh, the, the actual concept made a lot of sense. Yes. Now, before we go on to some of your other works since then, and particularly the '77 comic, which I've you know I've brought you on to talk about, um, I've also just done an episode recently with Stacey Dutton Whittle, who you may have met at a panel. She probably interviewed you on a 2000 AD panel yes. somewhere at a convention in the past. But mm-hmm. we were talking about the pit, and I think you were involved. Were you, were you back helping out John Tomlinson and David Bishop at that um, stage? I think I was just. Um, sitting opposite David any, anyway um, and then I think David left and John Tomlinson came on board as it were um, but at the time I was watching um, NYPD Blue the uh, kind of ensemble police show do, do you remember that? I do remember that yes yes I do and it just occurred to me that Maybe to give John Wagner a breather, he could do something similar with Dread, put the strip into an ensemble piece and see how the cookie crumbled, as it were. So uh, I think I rang him, you know, and Dave sat opposite me. And I, I tried, I just laid it down. And as I understand it, he, uh, in, from David's book, uh, John um, wasn't too keen to begin with, but later he, he saw a way into that. And uh, wow, we ended up with 30 episodes. So that, to me, was actually another high point, that I made a suggestion that that worked. Yes, and, and how well it worked. And as you say, one of the longest Dread epics, and such a fantastic one, and such a you know great way for Wagner into Dread's world and his sort of procedural stuff. And as you say, that NYPD blue, that Hill Street blues feel to mm. it. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with Carlos, they couldn't go wrong, could they? they, they both of them just nailed it. Um, Galen DeMarco, I think John said somewhere the moment he saw Carlos's Galen DeMarco, he knew he was onto something really good. Yes, onto a winner there. Mm. Uh, so, Steve, obviously, you know, we've covered your um, memoir of your time on 2000, The Mighty One, on this podcast in the past. And I suspect most people listening to this will have hopefully got a copy and have read it. You've written a couple of other books as well. Tell us about your novel that's uh, available. Uh, you must be referring to the Sheer Glam Conspiracy. That's the one, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, they say write about what you know. So I just thought I'd write about comics again, but in a novel form. <laughs> and uh, it, there was the great thing about the Sheer Glam Conspiracy is you can write the most you know, awful stuff and uh, no one can sue you. Oh, right. The, the, the joy for the reader of the Shigman is which bit of this is true, which bit of this, you know, was that person there working with Steve in 1973, or is he just having me on? But either way, I'm enjoying it. It's quite funny. 
Yeah, that's the story. Yeah, that was my feeling. Was trying to work out which bits were actually had actually happened because <laughs> it's based in the comics industry of the early nineteen seventies, and there are some fictional comics that you can see as some of them might be similar to actual comics that uh, hit the shelves. Well, that was so much fun um, putting myself in the position of an editor or even a publisher in nineteen seventies and saying, "Well, we, you've got to come up." These are the comics we've got, a football comic, da-da-da-da-da, and we want a new one. And it was such fun to, A, create the comics that were existing. Um, my favourite is Saints v Sinners, the strip in the, the, the girl's, girl's comic quote, Patsy, I think it was. Uh, I really liked writing that kind of Lord of the Flies thing. Um, and then pretending I was launching a new comic and therefore having to come up with uh, five new stories under the GNP 13, which was uh, at Fleetway, it was always JNP number, so junior new publication. Uh, But in Godric Publishing or Goodenough Publishing, it was G Goodenough Publishing kind of thing. So that was... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of Easter eggs in 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 um, in um, the Shakespeare conspiracy. One is that one of the um, guys who writes a letter to the comic moaning is is um, his name is an anagram of Pat Mills, which I quite enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> but no one seems to have noticed that. Was it uh, the letter delivering a miniature Mills bomb? Then it was. Yes, it was um, complaining about something. Yes. <laughs> And of course, you know, I've got to ask you about some of the, uh, the the stories within the book. You know, there's a lot of rivalry between the comic companies. Does, is that how it felt between Fleetway and DC, DC Thompson or uh, IPC? Oh, yeah, there were several assassination attempts on both sides. One went to the pub, never sat by a window in case the, the sniper's bullet found you. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. It was all fair in love and war. It was, yeah, Dundee, the distance, the social distance between Dundee and London is, I'm told, 566 miles. So, um, and in those days, there was only the phone or the letter. So there wasn't much room to uh, uh, have anything other than a friendly kind of commercial rivalry. Um, and I, I loved it. We loved it when DC Thompson brought out a new comic, be it Bullet or Warlord. It was a bit like the Beatles and um, the Beach Boys. They'd go, oh, they've done this, we've got to do this. And it, the, the creativity would ping pong back and forth. Uh, but I always thought we were slightly ahead of the game because they had to be more kind of um, uh, Catholic in, in their choice of scripts, you know. And, of course, you mentioned, you know, that the book features the creation of an exciting new comic. And, of course, you've been involved in the creation of several uh, exciting new comics during your time. Um, does it compare to startups of things like Crisis and the Judge Dredd magazine? Uh, the, the magazine was so easy. I just, once John Wagner and I were sort of back on talking terms, I just said to him, here's a comic that you can create from scratch. You've got Alan to help you, and we can get all the best artists. You've got Dredd's World already made. All you have to do is write some stories. And uh, and that's what he did. Um, on Third World War, it was a simple matter of just steaming Carlos from 2000 AD. Uh, that, that could have caused some unease in there. But um, as it happened, they only had room for a certain number of artists anyway. And Crisis, where Carlos came to, became the first stop for many new artists at the time, among them Sean, Duncan uh, and, and others. Yes, I mean, I did wonder how you'd managed to lure Carlos away from 2000 onto the Third World War strip with Pat Mills. Um, but, you know, fantastic well, result. I think, um, A, we were offering him full colour. You know, Crisis was full colour. 2000 AD was mono. B, we dangled the notion of um, royalties. Uh-huh. Uh, but C, also the notion for collections appearing in America. So it was, um, it, it, I think he and Pat always got on well. And it was a change of pace for Carlos. And I, I think he, it, it didn't take him long to say, yes, I, I come all over. I, I come, Steve. Yeah, yeah. He always called me Steve, Steve, Steve. 
<laughs> and called himself Charlie Squirrel. Yes, yes. <laughs> Fantastic. And, you know, did you, I mean, if we turn to the magazine for yeah. a moment, did uh, John's scripts for America come across your desk before you'd seen the Colin McNeil artwork? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when something like that comes onto your desk as an editor, can you tell straight away that it's of, you know, a, perhaps a greater level, you know, um, something above the ordinary? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, in, in that case, yeah, it was just superb, wasn't it, America? Um, and what was amazing was how Colin, his artwork just developed and grew and grew over a very short period of time until he became this superb colour artist always on time dedicated and he caught the spirit of america i thought just you know wholeheartedly so uh, that was just like heaven heaven get the script bung it to colin back comes the artwork you know whoa <laughs> fantastic i mean what a moment when the script for america comes onto your desk uh, you know it must one of those sort of moments you look back on and think yeah we've got something really good here well, I, well yeah um but then, I mean, there were many other examples of the first episode of Slaying, the first one we figured out, Rogue Trooper, Strunkium Dog, um, later episodes. It was just a joy to you know, be the guy sat in, in that office who, who, who the uh, envelopes were addressed to. You know, the first person to see these, <laughs> other than the writer. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. I mean, books two and three of Halo Jones as well. You know, what a moment to be the editor when they arrive. Well, yeah. I mean, like, editor, there's a there's more like always I say I wasn't the editor so much as the production editor, just making sure that all this great work got to print on time. Um, so I, I always like to make that point. But uh, it was great <laughs> whether I was the editor or production editor to be first to see the next episode of Halo or or Slain or um, The Pit even. Well, no, I didn't see the first episode of The Pit. You can scrub that. <laughs> okay, but yeah, such such fantastic moments to be there. And of course, you know, your steady hand throughout uh, steering the comic through its golden age. Uh, so, you know, fantastic stuff. And, you know, some of it, as you say, is perhaps leaked over into Easter eggs within the sheer glam conspiracy. Yeah, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, and it's available on the Kindle, which is where I read it. That's presumably the place. Is there a hard copy as well? Uh, there is, um, well, paperback. But I prefer to um, deal direct rather than people having to deal with Amazon, which is where it's available. They can just contact me and I will send it to them with signed as well. So you get best of both worlds. Oh, even better. Okay. I shall have to put the details for that in the show notes, Steve, so that people can contact you for a copy yes. of the Sheer Glam Conspiracy. Yes, and I've still got I've got um, twelve hardbacks of the Mighty One actually, so um, <laughs> those are up for grabs as well. Given that all the conventions have been cancelled, I was going to say because we were due to record this at the Enniskillen Comic Festival, but of course. Oh. Uh, we've had to do it over Skype uh, instead. I know, Eamon. It was Enniskillen, um, Lawless. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for uh, the lakes in October. You're hoping to be at the lakes in October? Oh, great. Okay. Uh, yeah, fingers I've crossed got if it's on. Yeah, I've got a table, definitely. I've got, I'm sharing a table with um, Jim Stewart, the artist on Gangerman, or creator of Gangerman. All <laughs> oh, right. Okay. I'm not familiar with that one. But, yes, okay, so fingers crossed for the Lakes uh, International yeah. Comic Festival. In the meantime, if anyone wants a copy of, to purchase a copy of uh, Sheer Glam or The Mighty One, hardback, just get in touch with me and we'll, we can do a deal from there. Excellent. How can they get in touch with you, Steve? Emails, stevemcmanus at mac.com. And I just mentioned, because at the end of the Sheer Glam Conspiracy, you you know you talk about the exciting new GNP comic. There is a script for um, part of the comic at the back, and you've invited a sort of art challenge for people to actually attempt the script. Have you had many submissions? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought this would be great for, you know, artists. Oh, I can draw that. I'll do a bit. But no one... <laughs> so, but um, that's fine. Nobody's had a go no, as yet. No, but then um, Ben 
Ben Carnes of the 77 has rescued me by um, choosing one of the strips to go in the first episode of his first issue of his 77 comic. Excellent. Well, look, if you know people do get in touch with Steve, get a copy of the Sheer Glam Conspiracy, get it signed, and then if you're an artist, have a go at the uh, the script in the back of the book. But also, that brings us very neatly. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> on to Ben uh, and the rest of the crew who've produced in a new comic, the seventy-seven, which is launch date is May the sixteenth, I believe. Tell us about the strip you've written, or that you know Ben's got you to move over from the Sheer Glam Conspiracy into the seventy-seven. What have you written for them? Well, uh, Ben chose um, the strip called the Tinkling Triangles which is basically the Osmonds in space um, in the future. And it's a comeback tour, and um, (laughs) they're going to go around the galaxy with their greatest hits. They've all come off various um, uh, things where they're addicted to drugs or, uh, uh, you know, being arrested. So it's a a new slate for them. You know, it's one of these things where these bands – come back don't they like boys and after 20 years <laughs> all their fans yes. are growing up and now elderly women who want to well middle-aged women who want are happy to pay 100 pounds to see them again um unfortunately <laughs> the um the first episode the, the, their manager is a bit of a, a weasel and he puts them on the wrong spaceship um and <laughs> far from going to their first concert they find they're heading for the war planet hades five and all they are armed with is a collection of their greatest hits <laughs> <laughs> fantastic <laughs> uh yeah that's 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 the you know that, that's it that's what's going to be in episode one of issue one of the 77 Fantastic. I will be talking to Ben in a moment about some some of the other parts that are going to be in the 77. But how does it feel to be writing comics again, Steve? um, Well, it's a lot harder than writing um, uh, text. I think even Pat Mills is saying recently that he finds text a lot easier than picture strips. Um, But having said that, I really I've always liked um, plays, you know, seeing a play written down in a book and it's just, you know, speech, 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 seeing description. And I love that immediacy of it and not having to describe, you know, what the weather is or what anyone's wearing. Leave that to the art director at the theatre. He can do that kind of thing, the costume designer. So um, I like, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. Um, In fact, I just wrote a text story for a guy in Ireland who said, could you do a text story in the style of the old annuals. You know, all, all the old annuals. Oh, yes. Valiant yeah. or battle always had a text story. So I've um, done one for him for free, and uh, I really enjoyed that. So it feels good, Eamon. It feels good. Excellent. And, of course, you know, as uh, as this episode comes out, issue one of the 77 will be about to come out, I believe. It was due to launch, I think, at Enniskillen as well. But it's met its Kickstarter goals, so it's coming out. How far ahead are you? How many uh, instalments of the Tinkling Triangles have you written so far? Oh, well, no, I, that's, this is the point. It's just that, that one. Um, but what they- oh, right, okay. Yeah, what Ben will probably say to you is that for issue two of the seventy-seven, he wants to choose another of the uh, scripts oh, from right. yeah from the Shave Man Conspiracy. And in fact, I think he knows already. I think he even knows that it's going to be Charlie Gillespie, which is like Charlie's, you know, a famous two thousand eighty artist. So that's pretty cool. All right, excellent. Okay, so more source material from the Sheer Glam Conspiracy. Yes. Yes. Excellent. So. You know, do get a copy of The Mighty One. Do get a copy of The Sheer Glam Conspiracy. Get your copy of The 77, Issue (laughs) 1. And get in touch with Steve if you want signed copies or um, has a chance at perhaps having a go at the art competition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. So, Steve, it's been wonderful to have your time. We were sort of planning on 30 minutes at the Enniskillen, and I've taken a bit more of your time than that this evening. Um, anything else that you're working on at the moment that you can share with us before I let you go? Alas, no, no. Um, uh, at the end of the Sheer Glam conspiracy, I said there would be a part two. And so that, if anything, that will have to be my next project. Um, Colin Noble 
criticized me because he said the ending of the Sheikh Lamb conspiracy was a bit quick. And I said to him, well, it's, you know, it's going to carry on in part two. It's just like that's where the story was guillotined. So um, I had to do that to uh, placate Colin Noble. Okay. <laughs> so there may be more Sheikh Lamb conspiracy to come in the future. Oh, yeah. It's called um, the Sheikh Lamb uh, Succession. Yeah. Oh, right. Like, you're going like the Bourne novels. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I wish I'd get that money too. Yes, yes. Don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> Steve, it's been an absolute delight having you on. We haven't even mentioned your time as Action Man uh, as well. Um, but you are of, indeed the mightiest of mighty ones. And um, thank you so much for giving up your time. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Yeah, thank you for having me, Eamon. Uh, the same here, Splendid of Earth Rig. And I'm now delighted to be joined by the uh, that mysterious figure, Benksky, or Ben Cullis, who is uh, in charge of the 77. Welcome back to the book club, Ben. Greetings, Eamon. It's lovely to have a chat with you again. Thank you very much. Well, of course, you were on episode 89 for Origins. Um, and uh, as you know, I've just been speaking to Steve McManus about the 77 comic. Because at the time, last time, we were talking about the friendliest 2000 AD group on Facebook, the 1977 to 2000 AD page. Tell me, how does it go from being a Facebook group to actually producing a comic? Well... Yeah, it's it's kind of it's not as tenuous as some people might think. I mean, we we write a lot of material and and, and, and cover a lot of features on the uh, Facebook group, nineteen seventy seven to two thousand AD, um, and that's been really motoring along now for the, really the last three years. It's it, it's a group which I founded actually in two thousand and seven. I think it's the first two thousand AD group on Facebook. Um, but like all things, sometimes when you start off, you don't really know what you're doing and how to do it. But I got some really lovely chaps involved. And I'll name drop them. So we've got um, Dave Healy and Dave Bedford. And we've got Baden Maloney-Powell, Steve Bull, Joe Healy. Oh, a whole list of names. Mick Allen. But we've got a whole bunch of people, right, who um, look after it, find us new material, and um, generally keep an eye on what's a really kind of interesting place for creators and for fans to, to interact. And I think that's important. The fact is that we have the, the producers of, of, of various uh, strips involved in 2000 AD and other comics. And that's kind of where... I suppose that's on that forum. I kind of met um, Steve McManus as well for, for the first time. Um, and, and, and then we met up at various comic conventions and conversations started. And, you know, don't tell the wife, but obviously I'm having an affair with the man. He's just up to the glorious. <laughs> and, um, yeah, you know, uh, he sent me a copy of uh, Sheer Glam Conspiracy. And um, that's the second novel of his. Um, after the, what was the first one? Is it the My Life in the Nerve Centre? That- so he did the mighty one, which I've been talking to him about. Yes, my life in the nerve center. Yeah, that's a fascinating read, and he's such a generous bloke. I mean, and so self-effacing. I think he really, you know, I mean, some of the things that he did and that period of time in 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 two thousand AD's history. Okay, you know, Steve was not there right at the beginning. He was doing other things, uh, you know, action comic and and and, and other publications. But I think really, I mean, you know, we'd, we'd offer caps to, to Uncle Pat, to Pat Mills for, for setting up the thing with, with, and, and John Wagner working on, obviously, early on in editorial and such. But really, for, for a lot of us, I think, is it from issue 87? When Star-Lord like yes. Star crept in and, and was, was subsumed by 2018 up to, I think it's issue 520, which is the 10th anniversary issue with the John Higgins cake cover. Um, I mean, that for most of us is almost encapsulates, if you're old enough, what we consider to be the, the, the golden era of 2000 AD. Um, and, and quite a few of us probably would put our hands up if asked and say, did you continue buying it much long after that? And maybe we didn't. It was an age thing. You know, we would then be in our kind of late teens, early 20s. And um, for me, I've just got such a fondness and uh, recollection of those times. And then to consider that Stephen Manus was the editor pretty much our Tharg during all of that period is just an astonishing achievement. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, the, 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 guy is a, the guy is a, a living legend and a really rubbish pool player. I have to admit, I beat him <laughs> regularly whenever I see him. So, uh, you know, always looking forward to another challenge, Steve, when, when, when this, when this situation changes and we can meet up again in your local. I'm glad to hear that playing pool is still a part of the editorial related to uh, comics 2000 AD and the 77. That's still a strong feature. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think if you read The Sheer Gland Conspiracy, uh, pool's not mentioned once. There seems to be plenty of alcohol, smoking and uh, other activities. 
But um, yeah, it's all good, clean living now. And obviously, we're all a bit older and hopefully wiser. And uh, yeah, it's just, well, I think you can tell. I mean, the way I speak about the guy, it's just a privilege to, 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 have, a, to have some working relationship with him, as well as, you know, considering him to be a, a far off friend, you know. Um, and, now, and, and now you find yourself editing Steve McManus himself. Yeah, he's. His, his best words of, of, of advice are the ones he doesn't say, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, yeah, what can you say? I mean, it's a bit of a nerve-wracking thing. I think the artist, Brendan Wright, who's done an amazing job on the story which appears in the 77, which is one of the stories from the fictitious comic called Blaze, which features in The Sheer Gland Conspiracy, written by Steve McManus. Yeah, Brendan's done Tinkling Triangles, and it's just a real romp of a story about a family, uh, a superstar family leaving Earth under misapprehension, really. Their rather dodgy manager has gotten lined up for a tour, they think, around, I don't know, some outer planets somewhere or something. Anyway, it doesn't happen that way. They're, they're going to some war planet, Hades or something. But what we got here with Brendan is, Brendan probably thought, why, why is Ben on my case so much about getting everything so right? And then I kind of said, mate, it's, it's for Tharg, you know, it's for Steve McManus. We, we've got to get this right because, uh, you know, it's uh, something that his, his, his kind of fans will be looking at and going, well, that wasn't drawn very well or why did they choose that artist? But anyway, Brendan's really pulled it off. And so the Tinkling Triangles, um, I think it's a five-page story, uh, will be appearing in issue um, one of the 77 soon. Excellent. So this episode comes out on the 10th of May. When does uh, when is the launch for issue one of the 77? Yeah, I mean, you're right. The 10th is about when we should have pretty much. Well, the word is that um, the printers and we're just amazed. I mean, you know, here we are in these incredible, extraordinary circumstances where, you know, we've got people, a business who is prepared and able to print our work and distribute it. Um, the current situation um, I'm sure most people are aware of is that, you know, let alone shops being closed, our whole comic industry seems to have pretty much put itself in suspended animation at the moment. And we, we considered long and hard. So the editorial team, so, so, so Dave and Steve, um, Dave Healing, Dave Bedford and Steve, myself, we're the editorial team uh, as such, are the directors of a new publishing company called the 77 Publications. And we had to consider really how it would appear if we were almost ignoring the whole present situation and just saying, are we going on regardless? Um, and as it was a Kickstarter, Eamon, we had to respect the fact that the Kickstarter people needed to be approached. So, and I don't know if you're very kind of familiar with Kickstarters, but it offers an, a, an opportunity when you have the people who are back to project, which we did successfully in February, you then communicate with them. You can put updates through on the website and stuff. And we gauged people's opinions about what we should do. And, and overridingly, people said, look, if you can and if it's not going to put anyone in danger and if, you know, you reckon distribution is going to be safe, et cetera, and handling, then we'd like to receive our comics and our, our, our rewards. So, yeah, we've, we've looked at it in minute detail. I mean, I think anyway, putting out a new comic would be slightly tricky, but you know, I've been spending hours sourcing, um, these you know, reputable distribution companies and people who are going to be, um, uh, literally putting that comic in its envelope through your letterbox, um, and ensuring that they're going to be fine and their, their workers are safe. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something which I think is another level, but anyway, yeah, the 10th of May is when we should be posting for all our Kickstarters. And you asked the date about the launch. Sixteenth uh, of May is the date for your diary. Sixteenth uh, oh, right. of May, yeah, we're we're going to have a, a virtual online launch. And for those like ourselves who were looking forward to this year's Lawless Convention, the uh, celebration of British comics run by Sue Hadrill, Mick Ramsey, and others um, in Bristol, that's where we were going to have our physical launch and a big party, and you know, quite a lot of the artists there uh, are involved with us. But obviously. You know, that's for another year, really. So um, we've decided that we're going to have a big virtual launch. And I extend the invitation to anybody listening now, uh, backers, people who have bought the comic or just interested. We will be putting details out about how you can join us um, Yeah, in a virtual celebration of this launch. And that's the 16th of May. And details we will find through you will find through the 1977 group and the 77 page. And we now have a website as well. So that's on the 77 comic uh, website. Okay, so we'll try and get that out to everybody. And there'll be some prizes and 
I don't know, silly shenanigans going on and, 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 and guest appearances. I mean, you know, Steve McManus will be appearing and hopefully a few of our artists will be able to say hello and the writers. And um, it'll be a really great opportunity to, you know, just pat everyone on the back and say, well done for actually getting this thing off the, off the ground. So I've spoken to Steve about the Tinkling Triangle story, which, as you say, comes from the Sheer Glam Conspiracy and is in issue one. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the other contents? What other stories have you got in issue one of the 77? OK, well, it's um, it's a bit of a beer muffler, to be honest with you. Um, we started off with the notion that we'd have 48 pages, make it pretty much like a summer special. Well, we've ended up with an annual, to be honest with you. We're halfway there. We've got 68 pages, Eamon. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's all it's all thriller, no filler kind of stuff, if you know what I mean, down with the kids. Um, so we got an amazing cover uh, by Aid Hughes, who's one of Pat Mills's uh, chosen few for um, Spacewalk, which I'd be like like to sort of say go out and, and support Pat as well on that. Um, so Aid's done an incredible cover uh, for for Baal, which is a character that features in a comic. Uh, strip written by Steve Bull, one of one of the guys from seventy seven, um, called V, and um, he's basically. Um, it says here that in the future they fight to become history. It's um, yeah, it's 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 a really interesting. Looks like it's going to be an epic kind of um, gladiatorial fight to the death sort of story. Uh, that's that kicks off. We've got um, the return of fans for Techno Freak. We've got um, John Charles's Techno Freak. Uh, oh right, yes, yeah, I know that. Yep. Featuring that's a standalone story. We've got Division Seventy Seven, which basically it's a future space war uh, where it says here that. Um, they are fighting to save humanity again and again. It's created by Dave Healy, and the artwork is by Sinclair Elliott. And Sinclair featured in the uh, final um, selection process at Thought Bubble that 2000 AD ran. So Michael Mulcher was there with all these other artists. Oh, right. and yes, yeah, in my opinion, yeah, there were six artists um, or, or, or more. I apologize, apologize if, if you're listening and you were more than the six. I can't remember. But I, I sat through the process and... Um, I, I, I struck a conversation with Sinclair before that and said, look, I'm going to be at Thorwell, but I'd like to come along. And I ended up supporting him and, 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 and you know, just chatting and, and such like. And his work was good. Um, and all the artists there had to basically put forward, I think it's a four-page story, uh, the same script uh, yeah. from some time previously. Um, and I can't remember. I'm sorry. I can't remember who wrote it. Anyway, um, he didn't win. Um, but featured really strongly, and I thought I gotta 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 try and interest this guy in, in doing something. And anyway, he's really found his straps here. He's, he's he's just enjoying it so much, and I think that's that's kind of important when you've got an artist that they really enjoy the strip. Um, so he's doing that. Uh, we got uh, Malo. Malo's prodigal. Um, Malo, people don't know. Malo Earl has been working up in Northumberland on side Cumbria for, for for donkeys now, and it's just an absolutely fairly trippy spaced out kind of uh future fairy tale that's going to be fantastic that's called a prodigal uh temporal anarchy it starts the comic it's filthy luca is a nasty old stinky old punk from 1977 uh it's created by alan holloway who did the uh strips with uh the toothy strips with ed doyle they're the famous kind of little funnies that feature 2000 ad characters and they've also produced sentinel which has just come out recently anyway neil sims is the artist and uh, his work is just brilliant it's proper old school art Eamon. you know we're talking marker pens crayons pencils all done and then cut and, and, and collaged on, on board and then uh, scanned. Uh, it's just beautiful, beautiful work. And I really, really, really think that Neil, uh, he's, he's, he's going to be going places and I'm doing my best to try and keep hold of him myself. Um, and I've got a whole list of people. We've got uh, Keck, Keck W, um, is now working for us. He's, he's done something called The Screaming Hand. All right. Uh, and that's a one and two parter. So we'll be featuring in issue two. And the art is by Connor Boyle. We've got lettering by. I mean, oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. We've got Connor. Annie Parkhouse doing lettering throughout the comic. You know, we've got Phil Elliott is doing a four pager and has done other feature work for the comic. So I love Phil Elliott's work. He's been working for years and years and years. Uh, Tales of Gimli and other things with Eddie Campbell. Uh, it's been a big part of my comic reading over the years. A story by Michael Powell called The Last Man. And that's basically Brexit in space. So there we go. Um, <laughs> yeah. And we've got work by Steve Austin, Baden James Maloney, which is called Angel. And we've got strips by uh, Lou Stringer. Uh, Mark Jackson, and people know his work as well. Morgan Gleave, a fantastic graphic artist, has done a story about the Knights Templar, you know, the 14th, or the 12th to 14th century, uh, you know, George of uh, Cross of St. George in robed knights who went over and did 
good and bad deeds all over Europe and the Middle East. Um, so we've got kind of different things going on with different sort of stories. And uh, we got some features. we got a feature on rock, you know, uh, John Wagner's strip. Dan Cornwall's done some amazing art for that. And what we got? We got something on Comic Scene magazine because we've kind of building up a bit of a relationship with them. And we've also got uh, a, 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 an exclusive uh, print of Lifeboat, which is an Ian Gibson strip. Um, and that's going to be our back cover. And Ian has very kindly uh, donated that to us and is given us permission to work with him over the next few issues as well. So, you know, one of our heroes there. And as I said, as well as the Tinkling Triangles by McManus and Brennan Wright. So it's a whole stack of stuff, 68 pages, and I think we're retailing at £6.95, Eamon. So, you know, okay. I think it's sounds value for packed. Money, mate. Yeah, sounds packed and value for money, as you say. And you mentioned the cover image of Bar, which I've seen and is fantastic and will be the cover image on this episode. Oh, lovely. But there's also, you mentioned, I think, before, there's a variant cover as well. Yeah, absolutely. Nick uh, Percival, uh, fantastic artist, big, big fan of his uh, Judge Death series, 2000 AD in the Meg, has done a super scary kind of version of Baal, the same character uh, in a different light. Um, That's uh, limited to, I think we've only got 500 of those, um, whereas the other uh, edition, I think we're running to two and a half thousand or three thousand copies. So that's going to be something to look out for. And we haven't kind of gone crazy on the price of that. We've added extra pages to it, um, Eamon. What we've actually done is we've added the variant as a wraparound cover so you get the whole issue one of the standard and then you get this additional wraparound cover so we've done it slightly also tongue-in-cheek so we've got the nick percival cover we've got something on the inside which is a double page spread although it's part of the cover and it's called banksy's future world and um it's it's got my character or avatar now as the editor i don't think we see a lot of him in issue one but he's greeting the reader and has got all of the characters pretty much from um, issue one around him. And it's um, it's in a it's it's in a, it's a sort of fun a fun format poster which will be available as well. So, and we're also going to throw in um, a Leonardo Manco print as well of Baal. So we had what well, kind of nineteen seventy seven does quite a lot. We have these kind of collaborations or competitions or parts of like Inktober, Dread, uh, is it Drocktober, drawing competitions. Well, we did one as well for Barn and we had all sorts of people um, produce. uh, Lee Sullivan, a whole list of other artists um, produce all these sketches of of this new character that we're promoting. So Barl is the character of this fighter in V. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, thrilled that nick responded and has produced something which i think we're charging i think it's seven pound 77 you see the joke there for this 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 variant copy and uh, yeah that's that's available through getmycomics.com who are kind of officially our distributors and if you're a just if you're a, a subscriber or you read comic scene they're running a feature on us as well and you can go through the comic scene shop and we also have links on our web page and the 77 page. So people can get hold of these things. And we also have, by the way, people are worried about, I don't know, getting something through the post at the moment or you can't afford the postage and you're hearing this and you're listening in New Zealand or Australia. Well, you can buy the PDFs as well. So we have both PDFs available. The standard is £4 and the variant is a pdf and i think it's to be honest with you i think it's the same price to be honest but we'll we'll we'll, we'll check on that so um yeah lots of different ways of getting the contents um and like i say there's a launch date on the 16th of may and um yeah we might flash up some images from that but obviously looking at the page and, and the other places and i do appreciate Amy, you're saying that the bar cover for the comic have you got by the way have you got the just the image itself or have you got a copy of the um the the, the, the cover of the comic what what are you looking at there Ray? i think you you sent me a copy of the cover of the comic as it will appear yeah fantastic well you can you can i'll i'll send you a bill for that as well and um, <laughs> <laughs> no no um I mean, we had God, the Kickstarter. We had 400 people plus back us, um, which was just phenomenal. Um, and, 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 and I'm fulfilling the, the distribution right now. And they're all over the world, mate. I mean, I cannot yeah. believe it. Um, the, the power of the interweb is, is, is an incredible thing. And hopefully when Kickstarter 2, yeah, there will be a Kickstarter 2 kicks off, we can go back to those original uh, backers 
and say, well, did you like the first one? Do you want more? You know, and we can get some good response and feedback. Um, and hopefully they'll like what we've done with issue two. And uh, if it's all right with you, Eamon, could I just mention a couple of people who will be featuring in issue two? Yeah, let's get on to sort of future plans for the 70s. Fantastic. So, yeah, we're going to go out with a new edition rolling out in August, uh, mid-August, the summer special. Um, take us back to our childhoods. Again, I think we'll go with 68 pages. I think the price should be the same or thereabouts. We've got some of the artists and quite a lot of the feature people in the first edition repeat because they've got ongoing strips. But then we've got Paul Williams, who's um, you, you know been with 2000 AD for a few years now. He's working with Dan Whitehead on something called Gut Crawlers, which proves to be it's going to be really, really, really good. PJ Holden, so um, Paul's oh, working right. with us. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got uh, Bambos Giorgio, um, well-known writer, has done something for us. As I said, another um, McManus. We've got Owen Coveney is working with another Kex, another Keck strip called Ramesses Tanks. So Keck's got two strips in the Lucky Man next next time round. And yeah, we've got some homegrown talent as well. A guy called Jeremy Dunn has done uh, something called Undertow, which is a bit of a kind of I am legend meets Walking Dead, as far as I can see. But the artwork is incredible, and we're we're going to give him we're going to going to be basically seeing how he gets on with that. We're giving him four pages, and then. The ambition is, uh, Eamon, is if it if it if it kind of moves on, and if people want this, and if people are you know happy to back us and buy the product, um, I'm looking to go uh, bi monthly uh, with this, and we're hoping then to go every two every two months. So you know, I've got a list of people for for, for edition three, and so it rolls on. So. Yeah, fantastic exactly. lots to come in the future yeah uh, and you mentioned obviously steve you know mcmanus and he talked to me a little bit about the second story you've chosen yeah um tell me you've got some plans for steve's stories in the future and collecting well, them yeah basically um a, a comic book called blaze appears as a, as a as as part of the the the, the storyline in in his second book the sheer gland conspiracy so our protagonist is charged with um starting a new comic and it's called blaze and it's a typical 1973 boys weekly um with sports story and future war and second world war and a detective strip in it and all these other types of strips right and thinking about how we worked with Tinkling Triangles and that I was then optioned the second story from, from that, Steve said, yeah, go ahead and do this one called The Collector. I then had this idea and put it back to him and got some other artists involved. And, yeah, we're going to produce Blaze uh, this time next year. So hopefully if our, if our um, distribution, uh, or should I say our timetable really, or schedule runs out, you know, the way it should, um, we will have probably printed a few of these and we then like to collect them together and with some additional new material and and produce this very comic called blaze and that will be um yeah a tribute to steve uh something that that, that, that fans of his and and, and 2000 ad might be interested in buying and um yeah that's that's going to be one of our first um in-house publications which is expanding on the line so we've set up something called 77 publications which we are asking for submissions and we're asking for people's material in, where it might just not feature in the 77. We might also, if things continue the way that they are, um, we might be able to print other material, Eamon. And that's really very exciting. So, yeah, great. And um, who knows? Who knows, mate? Maybe we'll all meet up at some point at some of these conventions and things which have so cruelly or so necessarily um, been cancelled this year. Because that's what we intended to do. We intended to go to Thought Bubble. We intended to go to LICAF, Lakes International. We intended to go to Mac Power. We booked all these places and, and, and Lawless. And we were going to be premiering different editions and, and celebrating the launch, at, as I said before, at Lawless. And here we are, stuck in our homes apart from if we're essential workers going out doing important jobs or, you know, not able to meet up and, and, and chat about these things. So I've, I've, I really just want to say, I mean, I do appreciate the opportunity to um, chat with you and to, 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 to promote what we're doing at the moment at the 77. Um, and can I say, Eamon, I yeah. wanted to, I wanted to say on a personal, personal level, um, people said to me, and I've been interviewed a couple of times now um, about the, 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 the premises of this, where it came from. What was that date of that interview where you interviewed me for issue 89 when we chatted about Origin? Was it February? So it was February 2019 and it came out in March of 2019. Right. It was episode 89. Yeah. Well, 
There we go. We're brothers in arms here, mate, because you were the first person <laughs> to ask me about various things. And it was on that, that particular show, which didn't go out, as you say, until later in the year, in the spring, that I discussed my kind of notions of. And it was obviously extremely embryonic. Um, and then we had a thread on the, 70, on the 1977 page which um, I think Ed Doyle, one of our artists, sort of started saying, hey, there's loads of great people here. Why don't we do something? And if you go on John, John Freeman's um, Down the Tubes, he's got an interview with us about that, and it features, and he's got the thread. It's quite, it's quite funny, and um, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, where you can have a conversation with someone and where it leads to, or you can have a, yes. game, of, you can have a game of pool with somebody and where it leads to. Um, and that game of pool I had at the Shakespeare in, in Kendall, um, three years ago with Steve McManus has led to this really so um, you know he is fantastic and now Banksy well. is a sort of almost fictional editor of this new comic oh he's completely fictional but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 nice having it's nice having someone else you can blame if it all goes wrong mate I'll put it that way <laughs> but it and was, also but to it play was. pool and, with and, Steve McManus is a team effort and I'm I'm really just a guy who's sort of you know trying to put it all together in terms that i've got the kind of vision i guess um but i wouldn't be anywhere it, it would or it wouldn't be anywhere without a whole heap of people um who are coming to me and give me the bet give me the ideas to work with um and uh, you know it's uh, strange strange days but it's it's kept me busy put it that way um Eamon, over the last few weeks and um i, I appreciate that well, it certainly sounds like it's going to keep you busy over the coming year as well. I mean, who knows? You know, you've got some fantastic plans, and uh, we're looking forward to the collected edition of Blaze as well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. No, thank you, Ben. I'm looking forward to the 77. I'm in the Kickstarter, so I'm looking forward to getting my copy. Yeah, I've, I've addressed your material. There might even be an extra badge in it for you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and thanks for coming on the podcast, and thanks for setting me up with Steve. And thanks to everyone for listening to Megacity Book Club. Uh, find out all the details at megacitybookclub.com. That will include links to get my comics, where you can get your copy of The 77. You can find out more about the podcast also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the 2080 forums. The podcast is also on Spotify, and you can get in touch with me by emailing mcbcpodcast at gmail.com. And that will do us, Ben. Thanks very much. Thank you, mate. So until next time on Mega City Book Club, when we're passing judgment on another great book, yeah, it's time for goodbye. So goodbye from me and... And a goodbye from me. Oh,